1957, a family of immigrants escaped communist Yugoslavia. He, with his parents, crossed the Adriatic Sea under cover of darkness, by boat, in high winds and dangerous swells. By daybreak, the coast of Italy was visible. They claimed political refugee status and waited. Seventeen months and three refugee camps later, they arrived in the USA. A wedding followed. A son was born. The firstborn in America. I am the son of immigrants. Welcome to The Immigrant's Son. I'm your host, Dennis Batterina, and tonight I want to examine the role of fraternal organizations as they relate to immigrant life here in the U.S. I had wanted to touch on immigrants and politics, but I'm not sure I'll have enough time to cover both. So that'll be a great topic for next week's episode, and it really deserves its own episode because politics and the immigrant waves and how the immigrant populations affected society via politics. It really does deserve its own episode. Now, before I get into tonight's topic, I'd like to remind everyone to feel free to leave comments and thoughts on the program. You can leave comments on whatever service you're listening on, You can go directly to the Buzzsprout service where the episodes are hosted. Leave comments there. My email link is also on the Buzzsprout, so you can send me an email with comments as well. First up, Maya Culpa. Seems that in the first episode, I mentioned hipster vegans getting in tune with Mother Earth. And an actual vegan, not of the hipster variety, reached out to let me know that Maybe 12 or 15 years ago, that was true. But most of the young folk who are practicing vegan today are actually rediscovering things like fixing things when they break and actually making things instead of buying things. Um, I was rather pleasantly surprised to find that there's a large underground movement of something called Maker's Workshops that are really popular with 20-somethings and 30-somethings. And I was really, really surprised to learn that a lot of those workshops have 75, 85-year-old skilled tradesmen who are naturally retired. And they're attending these workshops and teaching these kids and young adults how to do things, um, such as pottery making, all right, sewing, tailoring, plumbing, basic carpentry, how to fix things. Uh, there's maker shops for uh, folks that, you know, teaching kids how to fix toasters, how to fix small sewing machines, uh, how to fix the thing. Instead of just throwing stuff away and, you know, just buying something new, most kids can't afford And I keep saying kids, sorry. Most 20-somethings just getting started in life and in their career, they can't afford to keep on just buying new and replacing things when they break. So they want to get back to fixing this. And like I said, I was really surprised. And it actually made me feel really good that these kids are remembering seeing their grandparents fix things and they want to get back to that. You know, And that ties into being 
an immigrant, you know, like I mentioned in the first program, immigrants would fix things because they had to. Now we've got the grandkids and great grandkids of these immigrants fixing things because they want to and they see the value of saving your money and not being wasteful. And that's fantastic. It really make really makes me feel good to see that. And, you know, it's the stuff that high school used to teach and used to, you know, promote the, what was it, home ec classes. Those are gone. Uh, vocational classes, those are gone. Shop classes, for the most part, those are gone. So it's really, really nice to see this makers movement. And I'll probably do a show about the uh, makers workshops in the future sometime. All right. Now, to kick off the program. Yep. I got another complaint in an email from the first episode. Well, the vegan thing wasn't a complaint. That was just kind of a, hey, it would be nice if you don't go ahead and treat us like that. Uh, But this one was, hey, what about the Germans? Now, being a newcomer to this myself and, you know, my perspective being one whose roots are firmly in Croatia, the former Yugoslavia, I did a brief synopsis in the first episode of immigration into the U.S. You know, I mentioned pilgrims and then the English and then the Irish and the Italian and then the Russian slash Soviet that occurred right around the same time as my parents came over. And so, like I said, I got this very nice email that said, hey, what about us? All right, look, I'm going to get to everyone as the program evolves and grows. Just be patient. Wait your turn. I'm going to touch on everything and everybody. And that said, tonight, I actually do have a small mention of German immigrants in the fraternity that sprung up with the German migration in the mid-1800s. All right. Now, tonight's topic of fraternal organizations and immigrants are very tightly connected. And each immigration wave that came into the U.S. as it occurred you also saw the growth of particular fraternal organizations and the decline of others. Some fraternal organizations barred membership of certain nationalities. Uh, Some were a true reflection of the American melting pot mentality. Some were outright hostile. Now, you know, from just after the revolution, at the beginning of the Irish migration, there was... In Irish society, there was the Shamrock Society, which was, um, which was, I think, based in Boston. Then the first Irish Emigrant Society, that was based in the territory that became Illinois. So that wasn't even in the newly formed states. That was actually in a territory. Uh, and the Emigrant Assistance Society, that one... It, to me, is really interesting because it was one of the first ones formed that didn't hold social functions to help fund itself. Aside from the older and more well-established fraternal organizations, such as like the Freemasons, mostly all fraternal organizations sprouting up had uh, social functions to raise money as well as having aid programs for those immigrants of that particular lineage that they were trying to help. But the Emigrant Assistance Society was a true benevolent society, focusing on helping Irish immigrants as they got to the U.S. Now, we also have the Irish Emigrant Society, 
founded it in 1841 by bishop, later become archbishop, John Hughes. Now, what's interesting with that one is that the free and accepted Masonic lodges that were in and around New York were not particularly welcoming of the Irish. I mean, New York City was predominantly British descendants, and there were still the feeling that Irish were a subclass to the Brits. And Bishop Hughes formed the Irish Emigrant Society, partly to help the incoming families from Ireland, and also to partly stick it in the eye, so to speak, of the Freemasons. At one point in and around New York City, there were more members in the Emigrant Assistance Society than there were in Masonic Lodges. But while Masonic Lodges really were the purview of wealthy and well-learned British descendants, the Emigrant Assistance Society had to rely strictly on donations to help out the migrating Irish families, and it eventually folded because it just couldn't keep up with the demands that were being placed on it. Now, when the first real heavy Italian immigration wave hit, there were a lot of social clubs that did basically the same thing for their immigrant population that the Irish Immigrant Society did. And a network of help and guidance developed with Italian fraternal bodies. The most successful Italian fraternity is something called the Sons of Italy. Uh, That was formed by Vincenzo Solaro to help assimilate Italians into American society during the immigration boom of the early 1900s. And just as an aside, my former father-in-law, first marriage, ex-wife, he was a a member of Sons of Italy. Um, I remember him talking about it very, very, you know, positive terms. And he even tried to get me to join it, but being that I wasn't really Italian, I was like, no, I don't think I'll fit. Now, the Sons of Italy actually became such an influential fraternity in New York City that in 1928, Solero was given the key to the city in recognition of the social achievements, which, aside from helping assimilate new immigrants, new Italian immigrants, it provided life insurance for its members, group life insurance, limited health insurance for its members, along with banking and investment help to help newcomers into the U.S. build their own retirement accounts. Now, the Sons of Italy was formed in 1905, and in 2005, which was a centennial year, it had established over 2,800 lodges across the U.S., of which only the Freemasons have more established lodges. And in 2021, they still have over 600,000 members, second in membership only to Freemasons. When you think about it, that is really impressive that they have lasted that long as a more of a social benevolent association, and they're still going strong, which is really, really a good thing because that kind of support network still works for incoming immigrants today. Now, what set apart the Sons of Italy from Freemasons back when they started and set them apart from other fraternities uh, like the Elks, uh, the Irish Immigrant Society, which we mentioned, 
Uh, Tammany Hall, sidebar, Tammany Hall was actually an Irish-based fraternal organization before it morphed into a political machine that controlled New York and eventually just got eaten from the inside and corrupted and rotted from within. But getting back to the Sons of Italy, what really set them apart was that from the beginning, they were not a male-only organization. They actually accepted and initiated both men and women into the, into the fraternal organization, which was totally unheard of at the time. You know, you talk about being a progressive and forward-thinking organization before even the women's suffrage movement saw the passage of the 19th Amendment, which was in 1920, the Sons of Italy was treating women in its organization as equals. And that really speaks to immigrant life in an Italian household. And I've witnessed this. Women in an Italian household rule the roost. The men may think they wear their pants, but they don't. Italian women are very much the leaders of the household, matriarchs, and they really do have a huge influence on family. You just can't say enough about the the dynamics in an Italian family as compared to all the others and to see that, well, I was doing my research to see that the Sons of Italy actually had women in their organization from the beginning was really, uh, that for me was an eye-opener. German immigrants that came in the immigration wave about 20 years before the Civil War created their own mutual benefit and cultural associations, but the most popular in the German uh, society that was immigrating in was called the Order of Harugari. And that was started around 1847, 1845, and its purpose was basically mutual protection of German immigrants during a time of very high German immigration and also very high anti-German sentiment in the U.S. right before the Civil War. You know, you have to remember that, well, I think, what, 50 years prior, 50 to 60 years prior, it was the Hessians, the Germans, who were, look, who were helping the Brits and coming over and fighting against the colonists when the colonists, you know, were fighting for independence. So, you know, that's it's a folks don't forget too easily. So there was a lot of sentiment from those who were still around right at the time of the Civil War who remembered the, you know, who were kids at the time of the American Revolution and and there was still a lot of very high anti-German sentiment. Now, the Order of Harugari died out in the late 1890s, uh, right before the turn of the century, as Germans became more assimilated into U.S. society. And the first and second generations of the born-in-the-USA German ancestry became really successful in business, and they didn't need a fraternal body any longer to help them establish themselves, help them get going, and to fight, you know, the the anti-German sentiment that was going on at the time. Okay, well, I'm at the part of the program where I ask all of you, if you like the podcast, 
please put it on your notification list. Tell other folks about it. Help spread the word. I really would appreciate it. And, you know, throw me some feedback. Uh, drop an email to Dennis at theimmigrantsson.com. Immigrants is plural in there. Leave a comment on the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you are so inclined to actually throw a few shekels in support, I still haven't figured out the whole Patreon thing. So maybe donate a couple of bucks to the Shriners Hospital. That's a very fine organization run by Freemasons. Or maybe donate a few dollars to cancer research. Or, I don't know, throw a couple of dollars to your local pet animal rescue, you know, pet shelter. Do something nice for somebody. Uh, It's always a good feeling to do something nice. And times are hard with the COVID thing going on people's work and some people have work some don't work is tight if you can throw a dollar somewhere and just let me know that you did it'll make me feel a lot better that you're actually listening and you're actually helping out somehow to all these uh, places that really need your help okay tonight i'm signing off i'm going to leave you with a little bit of of american immigrant truism to ponder until next week and a little bit of something i don't know how it is if anybody's listening who is uh of an immigrant family uh certain words when pronounced in the native dialect to a uh, from a non-english speaker uh sometimes sound a little bit funny and tonight i want to mention one of those and if you're croatian you'll get it uh, something called what we in America call a sandwich. That's a very hard pronunciation for someone who has learned basically a derivative of the Cyrillic uh, language, Russian. And it always comes out as sangwich, S-A-N-G, which, uh, which I always thought was kind of funny listening to my people talk like that and hearing these odd words and you just smile you you don't want to go ahead and correct anybody but it's always fun to listen to all right and here's the little truism that i'm going to leave everybody with especially if you're from an immigrant family immigrant parents always had a sarcastic streak and in honor of that they say that if you grow up in an immigrant household you're automatically 75% more attractive to the opposite sex. But remember, beauty will fade over time. But that immigrant sarcasm, that's going to stick with you forever. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. See you all next week. And God bless. (laughs) 